walking in the alley, grab uh went to empty out the trash. My son, um, me and him both are looking because we see a guy and he starts screaming and he's looking at like, you know, cursing at me and things like that, throwing up gang signs. And with his right hand, he whips out a gun. When he whips out a gun, I then look at my son and start to shield him and put him behind cover. Uh, so I started, you know, backpedaling slightly. And as I started backpedaling, the guy starts to approach. I then to, you know, unholster my gun. As I unholster my gun, he whips off around. So he, at this point, we are now in a gunfight. He starts shooting at me with my son. You know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry have spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. And that is our intro. Michael Waller joins us. Hello, Mike. How you doing, Jake? I'm good, man. Good to meet you a couple weeks ago and Missouri, that was a good time. Oh yeah, training learning industry event was great. Learning, I learned a lot. Um, I was honored to be there. Um, we can talk a little bit more about that in a second, but uh, I should probably bring in my co-host, Mr. Michael Sudini. Michael number two. Us. What's going on, Mike? Living the dream in the hundred and whatever degree heat out here. <laughs> yeah, that's not news for you. Yeah. You, you you live in Vegas, like it's always a hundred and something in Vegas. Yeah, it's. I just it feels like it's been exceptionally hot the last couple of weeks, and yeah, I, I'm not doing much to leave the house these days. But when I do, it's like I don't know. I'm baking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't bring Mike all the way in from Illinois to talk about you baking in your uh, underwear at your house or whatever you're doing there. So. <laughs> We should probably get to him. Mike, tell us who you are and what you do and why we're all connected and uh, what you're doing on this program, would you? Yes, sir. Well, my name is Michael Waller. I'm the owner of MJ's Firearms out of Richmond Park, Illinois. Also the new owner of Protect One. It's an outdoor shooting range in Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh. Uh, licensed FFL here. Um, I pretty much do everything as far as that's gun related, um, ammunition sales, handgun sales, um, parts, accessories, all that good jazz. Uh, now to a advocate in the gun industry. I've been doing that for a little while now too, uh, after our survival self-defense shooting in 2019 with my son in Chicago here. So, yeah. Yeah, you got a unique story. We definitely want to get to that. Um, you were involved in a defensive shooting. Um, mm -hmm. I think Mike's mentioned this before. I'm just going to steal his line. It That's like what people who don't own guns think a gun owner's wet dream is. And it's not. And we'll cover that in a second. But I want to know how you got into the uh, field in the first place. Like, do, have you always been into guns? Is this a new thing or what? Well, um, it all kind of started uh, when my son was born, uh, 2013. Uh, literally right after he was born, I wanted to get a firearm to protect uh, him and my myself and family. And went to the local gun shop, found the AR-15. In the state of Illinois, um, it's illegal for an underage person, under the age of 21, anyone that's under the age of 21 to purchase a handgun. 
Uh, so walking into the gun shop, not knowing really anything, uh, asked, can I purchase a, I think it was a car, nine millimeter. And the gentleman told me over the counter, like, Hey, you can't, you know, you can't buy that. You can only buy a long gun, long guns, shotgun, a rifle, uh, ended up picking out, uh, an AR 15, <laughs> uh, wasn't really a good choice for your first gun, but, uh, that was the most important gun I ever bought. And that gun without that firearm. I would not be doing what I'm doing now because uh, that firearm tells so many different stories. Um, that gun was built by a local um, gunsmith, and he was a Purple Heart veteran. Um, his name was Jonas Hagos. He started an AR-15 manufacturer company, the first one uh, that was owned by an African-American in the state of Illinois. It was in Yorkville, Illinois, excuse me, Plano, Illinois, originally. Um, I ended up working for him. We kind of got, uh, he became like a mentor of mine. I uh, dropped out of college. Um, Wanted to pursue um, firearms, went to gunsmith to school, AGI, uh, took an online gunsmithing course to build AR-15s, got certified in building ARs, got hired on by the company, um, became, through time, became the lead armor there, building ARs, 1911s, AK-47s, and different type of weapons and stuff like that became, the moment I took my first shot, it was a wrap. It was before guns, you know, my first passion was basketball, it was like shooting, playing sports for the first time. Um, I just grew attached to firearms like immediately. So it became a huge passion. And through time, we went to SHOT Show. I probably rubbed shoulders with Mike all, a few times uh, there. But <laughs> I, uh, not knowing really a lot of people, I was just a guy who worked for a company. And, you know, through time, I went there maybe five or six times. And 2018, they went out of business. Uh, decided this wasn't going to be the end of, you know, myself. Uh, I love what I do. Can't see myself doing anything else besides, you know, being involved in, in guns some way, somehow. Founded my own business, MJ's Firearms. MJ is my son, Michael Waller Jr. Uh, a lot of people think my business stands for Michael Jordan, and it doesn't. <laughs> it is Michael. <laughs> no, right, well, right, that's like, well, from Chicago, and then, you know, it just happened, but no, MJ MJ is my son, Michael Waller Jr. So I started my business, named it after my son, because he is the reason why I did get into guns in the first place. And So you got into guns by buying a firearm that you were a fan of, and then you ended up working for the company? Yes. That's pretty wild. Like, I... <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I don't think that happens a lot. Nah, nah, it was crazy. The guy was local. He uh that was actually it's so crazy. I'm a true believer in Jesus Christ and you know things happen uh for a reason. And that was his first gun, his test gun that he built to put out there. And oh wow. I bought it the first day and we never even knew each other. Um but me being who I am, I didn't just buy a gun. I wanted to learn how I want to know how this gun worked. I want to I want to be able to clean it and take it apart. I didn't know anything. I didn't serve in the military. I was going to go to the military after I graduated high school, but I immediately had my son and I'm like, oh man, I don't want to leave him. And I had that opportunity put on the table for me and I don't regret it because I made a whole lot more money. If I probably would have went into the military anyways, and I got a chance to stay with my son and then still shoot a bunch of wild guns and have fun. So (laughs) I um, definitely don't regret it, but I love it. That's yeah. That kind of what got me started, man. You know, uh, 
you you know this um maybe the listening audience doesn't but walk the talk america hosts a firearms cultural competence course it's a series of courses there's three parts to it and the design is to teach clinicians of all professions not just mental health but um physical health as well but we want to teach them about firearms culture and help them Mm -hmm. become competent in it and i among all the different cultural nuances that we share, uh, I know Rob Pincus likes to analogize it to car culture where um, mm-hmm. you can do all sorts of things with cars and have different purposes for them and whatnot. And it's very, very similar to gun culture. But I think one thing that we've failed to mention is the entrepreneurship behind firearms culture, which you just uh, delineated there really, really clearly. Um, I think when we think manufacturers, right, we think uh, Beretta and Smith and uh, mm-hmm. Glock and all the, the big big places that, that build guns in mass, but we forget that there's small companies that do it. Um, at, at the Train and Learn, there was a tactical life there, which was uh, really cool. Mm-hmm. Just two guys in Florida putting you know guns together. And yeah. you were one of those. You kind of came in and and now you've got your own business. And, and I, I have a heart for that because I have my own counseling business. And it bugs me. I'm technically on paper. I'm the CEO of the company, right? And so I hear all these people bagging on CEOs, like, "Oh, those those corrupt corporate CEOs." And it's like, yeah, yeah. Some of us work really hard from the ground up, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's like me. You know, started from a dollar. I didn't have any, you know, money to help really me as much. Like as far as like loans and stuff like that, I had to start from the bottom. You know, I was a twenty. I start 23, you know, I had no really credit history. <laughs> I right, went to go right, buy right. my first car and they tried to hit me with a high interest rate uh, with no cosigner because I had no cr- uh, credit history. You know, I didn't I couldn't get no sure. million dollar business loan and things like that. So definitely respect for the small business owners, man. It's kind of where it's at. Um, it's really, really important. I feel like I love supporting small businesses because obviously I'm a small business and I think that is um uh, and we pay a lot. I say we, all of us, uh, we pay a really, really close attention to detail too. When we do things, uh, I find myself kind of doing a little bit too much, you know, as far as in um, just going above and beyond for the customer, you know? Yep. yep. Um, just, just, it, it's, it's very, I just love it, man. It's, it's, it's really, really dope that to see just small businesses grow from, just nothing to even just being our name being put on a t-shirt or a banner or news or you know any major new net- network it's just i just love it yeah i want i'm curious because uh this is our podcast and i get to ask questions um mm-hmm. <laughs> i i just want to satisfy my own curiosity would you mind walking us through that process of like starting with nothing because i think we most of us in our heads that don't understand it, you go, well, you just went out and leased a place and moved in, right? And it's like, well, no, that, that requires things like credit checks and history and down payments. And so how mm-hmm. did you work through all that uh, initially when the company closed and then you fold, uh, folded up and then you opened your own uh, company? What were the steps? Like really get like super detailed with that? Because I, I think if there's people listening, this is why I asked mm-hmm. that, not just for my own curiosity, but if there's people listening who are like, oh, I really want to do that, but I don't think I can. Tell mm-hmm. them how. Okay. Well, and I'm pretty sure Mike can speak on this too, uh, just being an FFL and, you know, well, uh, having owned his own manufacturer company. Yeah, but, but I can speak on um, nepotism. You literally... Sure. Did it on your own, so it's sure, no sure. yeah. <laughs> but I'm gonna talk about the FFL part, and if you feel if you if you got anything, <laughs> throw it out there. But uh, 
that's a starting from the bottom and then also going into the gun industry as far as an FFL and dealing with the ATF at the age of 23 is very, very tough. It's not something that, you know, everyone does. And I mean, starting just starting from the bottom. I mean, I, I, I definitely had support, too. So I do I do believe you just can't start somewhere without having some type of support. And that's when you need people like you guys walk, talk America. I mean, people just if you know anyone. Just uh, ask them and, you know, get some pointers from other different people, because without my mentors, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I mean, starting from, a, you know, starting from a dollar is cool, but having the proper mindset goes into what you guys do. Having a proper mindset and having the right people in your corner, you know, can take you a whole lot further than you think. So starting the FFL, it's really not that really expensive especially when you're at home base and you're just doing it online and i tell people like i could have went out there and just jumped head into it and just got a storefront and would have could have put you know which is not a lot twenty thirty thousand dollars into you know getting a small little store space and you know just working it from there but uh i, I took a smaller route you know you don't have to necessarily throw you know even that that amount of money into you know starting the ffl you know ffl license here in the state of illinois uh, for a, a type O one is a few hundred bucks, you know. So a lot of people think it costs thousands, thousands of dollars to, you know, start your own uh, FFL or start your own business. As far as being in the firearm industry, or I get people who tell me like, "Hey, man, I have to graduate college, or do I have to go to gunsmith?" I have people that tell me, "Do I got to go to gunsmith school to do that?" And I tell them like, "No, nah, man, uh, I recommend you to because if you don't and you just jump ahead and just straight into it, you probably won't understand the ins and outs. Like a person working at a gun store, he's, if he's been working behind the desk for two or three years, he understands how a 4473 form uh, is supposed to be filled out. He understands the 3310s and logging in the books and uh, understanding how important because their manager stressed how important, you know, making sure you have all these guns, you know, logged in and, you know, logged out and things like that. Um, it's not just money. It's, it's, it's understanding the ins and outs of just the business, you know? Yeah. It's um, understanding compliance, right? Compliance. Under, yes. Huge into. Understanding compliance, uh, especially with dealing with the ATF. Um, and also here in Illinois, this is a new law they passed. Um, if you are, for the people who are listening, if you do want to be an FFL in the state of Illinois, uh, you do have to register with the Illinois State Police as well. It's the FDLC program. You got to be compliant with them. And you, if you're a home base or online FFL, um, your the fee is anywhere between three hundred dollars a year versus a, a brick and mortar storefront, who, which is open to the public, is thirteen hundred dollars a year. You have to, well, not a year, excuse me, every time you renew your license, and they're changing those laws like through time, you know, because I get emails all the time. They're always changing that stuff. So, you know, being aware, you know, watching those things, because if you don't and you slip up, you can potentially lose your license. And if you make a, you know, even bigger mistake, you can potentially go to jail. So being compliant, stay, you know, making sure you're paying attention to all the small details, paperwork, read through it. If you don't know how to, you know, I say read, but if you don't, if you, if you don't, if you're not paying attention today, uh, ask someone who, you know, who has read those, uh, those papers and those, those forms and things like that, that's sent out to the ATF and Illinois state police. Um, but business, um, like I said, a, f- a few, a few thousand dollars, you gotta have a, to start off here in the state of Illinois, you have to have, um, your EIN number. So you gotta have, uh, your LLC as well. So starting the LLC before, uh, Trump was, uh, I got when before Trump was in office to get an LLC was like twelve hundred bucks. 
here in the state of Illinois. It was expensive. That is really expensive. When I got mine, it was $250 and Trump changed that law. So um, that that was a huge, you know, uh, saver for me. Getting your LLC, uh, getting your business license in your, your local uh, city, um, which that can be a few hundred bucks as well. Getting your My Tax Illinois because you have to pay taxes on every single gun that uh, comes in if it's a new gun. Uh, and ammunition as well. So uh, understanding the ins and outs of that as well. That's something that even I'm still learning uh, through time. And you will learn things. You will make mistakes. So uh, I tell everybody, if you are going to, you know, get into uh, being an FFL or gun range or whatever the case is, um, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes, you know, uh, try not to make them big mistakes, something where, you know, it can, you know, it potentially be solved. Uh, but you will make mistakes. And I'm pretty sure, Mike, you can, you yeah, I mean, some I, of this. It, it's it's huge the compliance factor. You know, one thing I'm curious about, Mike, and 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 I always throw this out on the table. Jake knows this. I've never shied away from this subject. Is coming into this like where I grew up, not being a gun person, not being mm-hmm. into firearms at all, just not having people around me. Even though I had family members that owned, you know, an importer, mm-hmm. um, there were little things like when I first got into the industry, I couldn't relate to right i couldn't relate mm-hmm. to hunting and stuff like that and just kind of the lifestyle over the years we've seen especially now black gun ownership skyrocket right it's mm-hmm. now it's not it's not just duck dynasty guys anymore right like it's it's a, it's a lot more than that you're seeing it i i watched it happen on the influencer side where you're just starting to see more uh black people come in uh more po- positive stories about black gun ownership everything like that Mm-hmm. Um, looking around the actual industry, you didn't see a lot of black people working for the gun companies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that you're doing, I think that is really cool is you're, you're just saying, I'm, I'm an owner, I'm a firearms industry business owner, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think there needs to be more of that. Yeah. My question for you is, did you come into the industry with, just kind of like, Hey, this is not common, but I'm digging this. I really like this. This is what I want to do. Did you notice that? I mean, I'm just wondering what your, you know, your mind frame is because yeah, the mindset, right? Like it's just because some people could shy away and be like, I can't be in this industry. Yeah. Uh, As far as working in a gun industry, working for someone else. And I hope I answered your question, but as far as working in a gun industry, that's not that hard. Being an owner of a company in the gun industry is two different things, but I believe having that mindset starts way before even being in the gun industry. So to answer your question, my my thought process came way before that. Uh, my mom was an entrepreneur. She's a, she flips properties here in Chicago. That's something I grew up watching. Uh, working for someone was never going to be my ultimate goal. Even when I started for that gun company, uh, Civilian Force Arms in Yorkville, I uh, since the moment I got in there, they knew like, you know, like one day I'm going to step out and be on my own. I don't, I told them from the jump, even as a young man, 18 years old, I said, Hey, eventually I'm not going to want to do this for the rest of my life. I, I, I would love to be a partner or do something like that. I would love to be connected. I told them for life. I will always be connected because I still love those owners still to this day. Ernest Johnson, Jonas Hagos, good guys. They uh, still in business today. They do other things, but uh, from the, from the jump, I told them, you know, Hey, this is, I'm going to eventually, and this is what I love to do. I'm on my own business in the gun industry. This is something I'm going to do. So I believe it starts at home. I believe it starts before it's it's like you, like you, like you say, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't really a gun guy. 
you know, I've been I've been to your house. I love it. Got a nice pool back there and everything. But uh beautiful dogs. But you're not really a gun guy. We checked out your safe. You had guns like woo, 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 everywhere. It was cool. Um, but you're not a gun guy. Right. Um, but you you were kind of you're a business guy though. Like uh you own a su- multiple successful businesses and especially in the gun industry, that business there was successful as well. Um and you were bred to be a owner you weren't really bred to work for other people you know so it's kind of the same you know you were uh, a little bit more gifted than i guess than most and you were more blessed than uh most you know because yes, you had family because you had family that uh own you know i mean uh, importer you know so that's 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 dope and but not to to say all of that not everybody has those luxuries not everybody has the luxuries even having the mentors i had at a very young age and being a black man and having those type of mentors uh who were either in the military and business guy one guy was into hunting he wasn't really a tactical guy ernest johnson wasn't a tactical guy he was a country boy you know his, his bloodline originates from the south so country shooting hunting that was a thing for him then you got it you mixed it with a tactical you know purple heart you know veteran you know so it's like having those people um at you know that young of an age and having just having the right people around you is is key you know that's 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 key i i tell anyone uh you know connect with the you know the right people also burning bridges that's something i really want to talk about too don't burn bridges if you're in a, if you're in the gun industry and you're coming in the gun industry whether regardless if you're working or if you own your own business in the gun industry Try not to burn bridges. If you make a mistake or if you do anything with anyone, try to make it right. We all are going to make mistakes, and I did it myself, but I try my best to make it right with the people because you're going to come across them again, and then they're going to remember, you know, those things, and, you know, that's something you want to, I would say, just keep an eye out and, you know, pay close attention to. I have learned that it's a small community, and I I appreciate Mm it. Um, I didn't. I didn't understand that. Um, I think to me, before I joined up with Mike in 2019, I just saw the the gun community as this monolithic thing, and I had no idea the, the nuances of culture within it. Even though I'd owned guns my whole life, I was never part of the culture. And um, and that was, it was refreshing. Um, I, I really enjoyed learning that that it's a small community and that everybody kind of like looks out for each other for the most part, there's competition obviously, but, and there's clicks like you'll get in any community, mm-hmm. but, um, they all, they all kind of like have each other's back for the most part, like by and large, like everybody's in it for the, for the same reason, which is second amendment advocacy and, and gun passion. Right. And, um, and it was neat to see that. And now what, what I'm seeing is the stratification of like old guard, power politics stuff and then new up and like our generation uh, yeah i'll lump you mm-hmm. in with me even though we're like in our 40s and you're not um like but our generation is now i think emerging as and we're going to become the leaders of this this community mm-hmm. and and it's ref- and here's why i say it's refreshing to see that people cooperate across all demographic lines that's not what the previous generation did they, uh, my perspective as the new guy with fresh eyes on this is they locked out a lot of people and they're just not even interested in changing that. And and it's, uh, I don't know that I've ever shared this before and I'm interested to hear you guys kick it around. I think it could be to the massive detriment of the community um, when you got these rigid, narrow-minded thinkers who still have the largest voice by and large when it comes to lobbying and policymaking and influence. However, I think the larger numbers 
are within what you're looking at on the screen here. So mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that's just a you know skewed impression based on my my very small brush up against the community or if it's accurate. But I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about that. I'll go ahead and let you kick it off, Mike. Well, no, I mean, I, I've seen, you know, for me, I've seen it come a long way. I mean, when I first started in this industry, you know, like I said, I, I, I did my best to get out. I actually did get out for a while because I, I didn't feel like I was amongst peers or people that could understand me or like the music that I like. Um, you know, now you're seeing these different groups. And the only thing that I care about is that, you know, there's a genuine uh, reaction to these new groups joining us because you just didn't, you didn't have your LGBT community. You didn't have your black community stepping forward like black guns matter and guys like Kevin Dixie and Argo J it's really easy now to jump on this bandwagon and be like, you know, gun rights are, are, you know, gun control is racist and all this stuff. But having said that, like some of these people might be charlatans and faking it, but I think there is a, a an emerging group that's going to speak to all these different cultures and cross all these lines that are super important. So for me, like I've definitely seen it where I'm most proud to see it now is, is people stepping out and actually owning their own businesses. Right. Mm -hmm. Because then you don't have to listen to anybody and you don't have to worry about it. You're creating your successful business, whether Amen. it's range, Yeah. Gun shop, uh, manufacturing, uh, you know, this is this is really where it needs to go, because then you're going to you're blowing, you know, we're, we're we've knocked the door down finally. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just, hey, you're at the NRA show walking around. It's like now I'm here and I'm an owner. Now I'm here and I have a voice of power. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, Mike, that's why I think it's just so important to tell your story. I mean, on so many different levels, but also what you've been doing. Right. Like what you're doing, what you're building in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is unique stuff. You know, the, yeah, I'll, definitely. Before I get to uh, talk about myself, uh, what do you think? You you spoke about how you see these the, the new people coming into the gun industry, starting businesses and things like that. What do you think about the people who start businesses, but they don't have the proper mindset behind it, and they don't even have the right intentions? Because how many you know? It's a lot of gun owners. It's a lot of people who got FFLs just due to COVID. And when they got in here, they wanted they had they were in they had the mindset that I'm gonna charge people these crazy prices for ammo, for gun parts, for guns. I've seen a man sell a, a woman here in Chicago paid she paid eleven hundred dollars for a Glock 19, which is insane. After you know, that, that I, is not the that that's not gonna last long. Yeah, I'll I'll yeah. jump in. I'll speak to that because I see that kind of stuff in my field. We we don't yeah. We don't have the problem with overcharging people. What we have the problem is overpromising and underdelivering. So you get these people that open up therapy shops knowing that mental health mm -hmm. is the new hot thing. And mm -hmm. they're in it for the money. They're not in it to heal communities. And you know this because they're usually not from the community. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're listening on audio, I'm taking this off of my fingers. Um, number two is they're often uh, – they just hide behind a website that doesn't uh, show who the ownership group is. Uh, the mm -hmm. ownership is usually not clinical. They don't have like, you know, clinical credentials. They um, may or may not have multiple locations in multiple states that all look the same. They don't show who the team is that works for them. That's starting to change a little bit now. And I think because some of us kind of kicked down the door and said, you you can tell who's righteous and who's not from like how transparent their website is. But what they do is they promise all these services. And then they, and most of them bill Medicaid, which is very easy to 
um, I won't say defraud necessarily, although that happens quite a bit, but it's really easy to rack up the, the bills, uh, like the, like the reimbursements and the, the customer client patient doesn't know what's being billed on their behalf and neither does the service provider a lot of times, but the owner manager does and they're taken off the top. And so I see that in my community and, and I've been doing this for 12, 13 years now and they never last. They make a killing. They do. They make a killing, but they don't last because their eyeballs are on, you know, get in, hit it while it's hot and get out either before people figure out what you're doing or the, the authorities come down and shut you down or um, they just grow tired of it and move on because it's boring after a while. And so uh, what I've seen is the, the legitimate, authentic people who usually are clinical in nature, they have a vested interest in the community and they're doing the right thing. The people figure it out. And I think the same thing's going to happen with these gun shops that open up and just are in it to make a quick buck. It won't last. People will figure it out. And we have to trust the market. We also have to, I love that you mentioned that you follow Jesus. Um, I have a big faith in in God and Mm -hmm. that if you do the right thing and you exude that kind of love and compassion and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and longevity too, right? You're in it for Mm -hmm. 20 years, not two. Um, People also see that too. They see the love, they see the compassion, they see the the grace and the support, and then uh, they eventually figure it out and they come to the right places to do that. So uh, I didn't know that was happening until you just pointed that out. I didn't know that was a thing in the gun community, but um, although it saddens me to hear it, um, I think ultimately it probably ends up benefiting us in the long run if we're willing to stick it out and not scream too loudly about what the bad guy's doing and just keep doing what, the, what we're doing because – if we have patience, the people who get burned always end up coming back to the people who are consistent and reliable, right? And honest. Sure. Yeah. My two cents. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, I agree a hundred percent. Um, again, like you say, uh, it's good. It's, it's gonna, when you do right by people and you have the, 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 the right mindset, uh, it's, it's, it's gonna pay, it's gonna pay off. Um, I, I just, I had to blurt that out there because I, it's here in Illinois. It's been a lot of that. This all over the country, but I, I've seen some ridiculous things done to people who were um, taking advantage of. Yeah, they don't they know any afraid. better. Yep, they didn't know any better, I and mean, they were afraid. Like I had people run in. Like I had women cry. I just went about and literally, I I stopped selling ammunition during COVID, and I was just giving ammunition away with their gun that they purchased. Wow, like, just so they had. I had single women in Chicago who will go up to local gun shops. I'm not going to say their name and they will charge them a hundred bucks for a box of full metal jackets, 50 rounds of like crappy Chinese ammunition after tax. And it was insane. Um, Cause literally I, like I said, the woman, she came here crying she was, you know, Hey, I just, all I have is a few hundred bucks and you know, I, just, I have three kids and I want to be able to protect my family. And I sold her a gun. I think maybe a few dollars, maybe a few dollars over my cost. It was a Ruger EC9, but she got a she got a few boxes of ammunition and some Ear Pro and some iPro and you know, gun lock. And I threw her a free little, little cheap little safe, but it was a safe and it did work. And so I mean, her kids, you know, it 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 just it just goes back to having you know that good heart, you know. And people gotta sometimes we get taken advantage of, you know, but. Sure. But if you're yeah. not if you're not attached to the material things of the world, yeah. you're not going to be encumbered by 
checklists and yeah. and ledgers and pluses and minuses. You know, like of course you want to stay in business and you can't give away all your shit for free. But like you when you do the right thing, people pick up on that, right? And and you're not you're not keeping score, you're not keeping the tally. And and I just I love that you said that. And I love that you're doing it not because you're a nice guy, which you are, and it's the right thing to do, but because the purpose behind it is to store responsibly, right? Mm-hmm. The purpose behind giving away free ammunition is to go train. You know, so so you're proficient at your weaponry. Um, that's awesome. And in the process, you probably, you know, make a return customer when times are better. Oh, yeah. All that. Like a lot of them came back, so. Yeah. Good good on you, man. That That's really heartening. I, I, love, I love hearing that. Great story. Yeah. Yeah, well, I want to I want to get into it. I want to jump into this this crazy story and and this, and segue into what happened to you after KD's um, training and learn event, mm-hmm. you know, a few years ago. And I had I had heard about you, and I like I said, we probably crossed paths at Chop Show mm-hmm. when this story happened. I remember everyone calling me and saying, "Did you hear what happened to Mike?" Right, and uh, it was always kind of this weird thing because. Wasn't really sure who exactly this Mike was. You're like, mm-hmm. I'm right. Mike. What did ha- what happened to me? <laughs> um, but I, I guess let's start off, guys, with talking about what the event is and what goes down at this event because I think this story is so uh, it's insane when you think of coming off of this mm-hmm. event and then having what happened happen to you. Sure. Um, it's like the perfect storm for the person who tried to take you out <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm just gonna jump straight into it um 2019 there was an event that was held by kevin dixie this event we just came from uh it's called train and learn the industry event um this was the first year uh it was held uh, it was put on it was in missouri uh DeSoto, missouri at this uh in 2019 uh great time the event um you get you get a chance to network with a lot of great people, uh, be on the range and shoot with some of the best. Uh, we had uh, Ken Scott, uh, Dust, uh, Justin. Uh, he shoots with Team Springfield, and we had uh, we had Mike with MW Tactical. He was there. I mean, just an endless amount of great you know instructors. KD was on the line too as well. But we got a chance to learn from some of the best, not just, you know, behind a firearm, but also learning the industry, which is really important. So I, it goes back to, you know, what you were saying. If you want to get into this, don't just jump. Go go to some of these events. This event, this event costed 250 bucks. And you got you, you were in the room with um, I mean, uh, Mike, I believe you were there that last year, weren't you? In 2019? I was not. I was supposed to be. I got I sold my company right before yeah. that happened. So I actually I canceled on the first one I ever went to is this last one that just happened. Um, but yeah, but a lot of people like you, you had TJ with the tactical shit and he's really big into that whole social media stuff. And um, who else was there? You had um, Devin Perkins was there. Devin, Devin was one Kings, of the yeah. as well. Ken and all of them. But you got a chance to learn from all of those people. And that is important being there. And because those those same people, I know every single one of them personally. Like I talk to them all the time. So and these are people who will talk to you all the time, who will be there for you all the time and can encourage and 
give you the knowledge so you can be successful if you do decide to do this. So that, by the um, way, uh, Mike, if you don't mind me interrupting here, is what I was yeah. referring to earlier when I said like kind of the warmth and the welcoming of the community. Mm-hmm. Like I was made to feel like a an insider as soon as I was there. Um, open oh. arms, full embrace, and like you just said, like every one of those guys, like there's yeah, they've got big followings on social media or whatever. They've mm-hmm. got their own companies that have been around for a long time, and they're mm-hmm. normal dudes who are like, oh, what do you need help with? How can I help? Like it was great. Absolutely great. Yeah. Thanks for letting me cut you off. Yeah. No, no problem, man. So uh, immediately after that event, uh, it was really good. It was really, really dope. You had a bunch of different companies. You had Faxon, you had Enforce, you had um, Jesus Century, you had um, who else was there? Prevectus Group Elite, of course. Uh, the list goes on. You get, you get a chance to network and get close with these different companies. I want guns there. I want two guns. Well, one gun. Uh, and the second gun. I'm going to talk about that. But immediately that uh, that, uh, that Sunday when I left there, uh, not even 16 hours later, I was driving in the car with my uh, buddy, Devin, Devin Perkins. He runs uh, Trenchwork Chronicles and uh, um, Kids to Kings. Uh, Kids to Kings. Uh, yeah, he big run, part of Walk Talk America. Yep. Yep. He runs both. He runs both of those. And he was in the car with me. We were going back home. I was actually going to go grab my son first, picked up my son, um, uh, out of Richmond Park here and then went to go see my girlfriend because uh, my son was saying that he went to go see her and he went his video game was there so we went to go back to her house in Chicago got there uh, it was around 3 three thirty in the afternoon almost 4 uh, got out of the car and my son he saved my life again you know uh, he just had his birthday yesterday so it was, <laughs> it was great, but he saved my life again, man. I always thinking about him. He got out the car, walking in, uh, about to walk towards the alley. And my son was screaming my name. Hey, Dad, I want to come in. I want to come in. I was like, oh. I was just constantly. I'm like, because I know this this neighborhood is not good. There was issues there in that alley before, so I wanted to make sure I was, you know, you know, kind of, I can, you know, just be by myself and just running there really fast, trying to make things fast. You know, not a lot of interact especially with my son having him in the uh just walking in the alley just for those seconds i didn't i didn't want any of that but he kept screaming i was like all right i went to grab my son i knew i didn't have my gun my gun was in my um bag so i grabbed my gun put it in my holster not even 10 feet i'll go to empty out some trash and lint and stuff that was in my pocket for being on the road uh devin stayed in the car and i was walking my son was holding his hand went to empty out the trash uh it was i can hear yelling i was at this gate and this guy he was roughly around my age 24 25 at that time he started yelling at me he was throwing up gang signs uh the, for people who don't know little village is a uh latin king uh latino neighborhood uh it's really gang infested so um being an african-american male in that neighborhood is probably not the best thing you know especially even in broad daylight um but walking in the alley grab uh went to empty out the trash my son, um, me and him both are looking because we see a guy and he starts screaming and he's looking at like, you know, cursing at me and things like that, throwing up gang signs. And with his right hand, he whips out a gun. When he whips out a gun, I then look at my son and start to shield him and put him behind cover. Uh, so I started, you know, backpedaling slightly. And as I started backpedaling, the guy starts to approach. I then to, you know, unholster my gun. As I unholster my gun, he whips off around. So he, at this point, we are now in a gunfight. He starts shooting at me with my son. And I then just extend out, turn fire, hitting him. Um, it ain't like the movies. You know, I thought when I shoot somebody, he's just going to fall out and, 
you know, just going to start screaming. Not like that at all. You know, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of things I had to process really, really fast. Um, you know, every single bullet that leaves out the muzzle of that gun, you're responsible for. So, you know, not I just before I pointed that gun out, I had to, you know, account for a lot of different things. And us as responsible gun owners, we think about those things, but criminals don't. He didn't care because he saw my son right there in those windows. He didn't really care. You know, those are things that I thought of, but I still was able to process those things in enough time and split seconds and, you know, stop the threat. I, you know, shot him, um, hit him in his body once he then, you know, kind of fell behind actually real cover because it was like a concrete pavement. Um, I'm still firing so I can keep his head down. I stopped firing slightly because, you know, I understand I'm kind of getting low on ammunition. I didn't have a lot of rounds, but uh, I sidestepped behind a fence. I was now behind concealment. Um, he's behind cover. He actually has an advantage, but, you know, coming off uh, training literally right before uh, I got there, I fired like anywhere between two or 3,000 rounds. Uh, I had Kevin Dixie behind, uh, not Kevin Dixie, I had Ken Scott behind me just, you know, you know, drilling me. Like, this is my first official, like, outside, like, the gun uh the gun stores and stuff like that shooting practicing so like first time you know and i learned a lot and a lot of those same skills kicked in immediately uh i wasn't a new gun guy i've been around guns for some years but those skills that i was taught just 16 hours prior to you know having to fire my weapon in real life and being a you know a shootout in a gun fight kicked in immediately you know so i you know, having a proper grip, having a proper, you know, sight alignment. I didn't see my sights. You and immediately when you're in a, in a situation like that, you be, you get in a tunnel vision. So a lot of people don't know what a tunnel vision is, but, you know, and I hope you never know. But uh, and it's not just with gunfights. It can happen with any type of major trauma. So, like, let's just cause I, I got to stop saying that because, you know, you guys deal with a lot of trauma and, you know, different things like that. And they can they can they can be under tunnel vision. Uh, with a lot of different things, but I was on a tunnel vision in a gunfight, unfortunately, and you know, a lot of things slowed down. You know, I I laugh about this. I'm gonna get back to the story, but uh Detective Badalini was I was a detective handling the case after my shooting. She asked me, she was like, uh, how long do you think you were out there shooting for? You know, you had a lot of showcases in that alley. How long do you think that this shooting happened? <laughs> you wouldn't believe i told her i think i said like five to ten minutes <laughs> that's a long time then she was like i don't think so but to me it felt that long because everything slowed down everything it felt like that was the longest gunfight i was i've never even experienced anything close to that but back to what actually happened i have to shoot him he gets behind cover i'm behind concealment uh, he then uh, picks his, he's still firing, like, kind of like that, like the Iraqi style, you know, shooting. He had his handgun and he's still firing. And I, you know, then to try to, I try to slow down and breathe. And because I know I'm going to potentially have to take like a pretty, you know, accurate shot because this guy is still shooting. I'm afraid too. I'm terrified because I'm like, this is not the way this is supposed to go. In my, in my dreams, I'm like, man, when I shoot this guy, he's going to fall out and I'm going to look like real cool and all that. No, no, no. Like, right. I'm pissed because I'm like, why is he not down? I'm thinking in my head, I can, I knew I hit him because I can hear him breathing and everything slowed down for him. He was firing a lot of shots off really, really fast. And then he slowed down. 
but I also slowed down. So I was kind of thinking like maybe he's trying to conserve ammunition like me or I don't know. It was a lot of things I was trying to process in my head. But I then, you know, got on the gun. He when he picked his head up, because I assume he thought I ran off because a lot of shootings, most bad guys, they don't want nobody wants to get shot. And when a shooting happens, typically people fire off rounds and run off. You know, he didn't expect for me to stay there when he picked his head up. When I saw his head, I took a shot at it and, you know, put him, you know, took him down. And he took he had a headshot, gunshot wound to the chest and to the head. And he uh, was dead on the scene. I immediately called um, the ambulance, you know, you know, to try to, you know, because that's something you do have to do anytime you're inside of in a self-defense shooting. Uh, but another thing, you know, immediately after that, when he went down, I turned back to look for my son, the longest turn in my life. And I'm pretty sure I met your kids. Uh, I don't know, Jake, if you have kids or not. Six but and four. That was a turn that I'll never forget. And that was the slowest thing that I did. I felt like turn looking for him and by the grace of God, he was still standing um he was i believe he froze he he didn't he didn't have his hands on his ears i don't think he really understood exactly what was going on he was five years old at the time about to turn six and i immediately grab him i'm out of rounds uh i run back to the car i throw him uh throw him in the back seat devin you know then catches on to what's going on and he you know immediately jumped in and throw some uh you know some bags and things over my son to shield him i then grabbed my other gun uh it was in my uh center console i grabbed my other gun and run up there because i saw i knew the guy was down i saw him when i shot him in the head because when you shoot someone in the head typically it's like a light switch their body's just going to shut down if it's a lethal one you know so he falls when i you know when i go back i i didn't go back up to him because I'm trying to actually go. I'm I'm trying to help him because you know a lot of people think you know when we're in a situation like that, you know, gun guys and responsible gun owners, the 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 politicians and things like that like to paint bad pictures. Like oh, we're just bad guys. We want to just shoot and kill him. You know, I immediately wanted to immediately after him trying to kill me and my son, I immediately wanted to go and try and help him. Uh, so I run back on him, but I had to make sure I have a gun because I didn't know if there was other threats. I run back up to him and I kind of scan the area to make sure there was nobody else coming in. He was kind of laying forward like face forward uh, into like the the door and when i went up to him i had my jacket i took my jacket off i couldn't find my tourniquet in the car so i try to uh i was going to try to you know apply my jacket to like some type of guns or something like that to try to like stop him you know from bleeding as much uh but when i saw the gunshot went to his head i was just like i i thought he was dead because it was just like a lot of blood so i assumed he was dead so i didn't honestly even try um, I just was on the phone with 911, you know, telling them what's going on and, you know, get an ambulance here as soon as possible because this man is, I believe he's dead. I said that. And he was dead at that time. He was, you know, brain dead. And the police say, uh, police and ambulance got there uh, really, really fast because the county is right next door. Um, they got there really fast. They were able to revive him shortly, uh, but he later died in the hospital. Three days later, they pulled the plug on him because his brain wouldn't respond anymore. So he, yeah, you know, they pulled the plug and he died. But um, I want to talk about, uh, because I think this is really important for people who, if they do, I pray they don't, but if they are involved in a self-defense shooting, when the police arrive, very important. When the police arrive and you are a black man, I don't want to throw the race card out there too much, but this is the world we live in. 
and you responding. Um, I believe anyone can get shot. Don't get me wrong. But I believe when the police respond and I look like Jake or I look like Mike, that situation may go differently. So me being a 24, 25 year old, yeah, in the early uh, mid 20s, a black man, you know, I'm like, oh, shoot. okay, Mike, listen, you know, you're on the phone with them. You're describing yourself. You give them your name and all that good jazz. But take a deep breath. This is something that's, you know, they're, they're about to get here and you got to know what to do. Have your hands where you can see them. I then put my gun up because I, I scanned the area. There was no other threats. Um, I took my gun off me. I told, I was still on the phone. I had the cell phone in my hand. I told, I told the lady, I described her like from head to toe. And I told her I was going to hang up because I don't want to have anything in my hand. My phone is like this from a distance and police arriving because they know there's shots on this, you know, there's just shots fired. And I told him that I just shot and potentially killed a man, you know, like, don't shoot me. You know, Mike, just, Mike, real fast, not to cut you off, but the, the crazy part is that you're in a Latin Kings neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And as much as you can assess whatever, looking around saying there's no other threat, a threat could walk out the door at any second. And you're because you, it kind of put you in a pickle of sorts. It did. Like, I don't want to get shot by the cops. I don't want the cops to think that I'm part of the problem now. Yeah. And then also, I don't want to get killed by anybody that might come out to retaliate or go check on absolutely. their boy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's a good. That's a good. You brought up a good point because it's also something I thought about. But I, you know, I had to, you know. I had to take a chance at this time. You know, uh, I knew my threat was down. I knew I looking at, I knew he wasn't getting back up. He just can't, you know, I'm thinking he's dead. Uh, I scanned multiple times. I'm like, you know, not just in front of me on the sides in the alley. Uh, the neighbors came out. One of the neighbors, he, he knew me. He knew me. Hey Mike, what's going on? You know, he's out there. Other uh, neighbors are out there. Um, I'm then like, I feel comfortable because this guy is making sure I'm okay. He knows who I am and he knows what kind of neighborhood we're in. He's trying to leave there. Um, and, you know, in fact, me and my uh, my girlfriend, I had her counsel her lease. Everything in that house at that time of the shooting was packed. If it would have been days later, he would have never even crossed paths with me. Um, you know, so that's something that, um, you know, I had to, I had to, I had to take a, you know, chance, but uh, I was willing to because I was like, hey, I'm, I want to, you know, my son, you know, I was thinking I saw him, he was safe. You know, he was in the back of that car. And if anything, you know, Devin could have pulled off if, you know, some other stuff could have happened, but I knew he was safe. And that's what's most important to me at that time. I wasn't really, you know, I, I did what I had to do, but um, I had to take that chance. You know, I just want to make sure my son was safe. If I, if I die, you know, the sucks, but you know, my son is still alive. And as a parent, you know, as we, we all know, you know, our, our main, our first duty is to protect our kids. Because, you know, when the kids die, future dies, you know, so I want people to, you know, understand those things and, you know. The audience couldn't see me uh, and I tried to hide it the best I could, not make it about me. But I I definitely teared up when you were talking about that because I instantly envisioned it happening to me. And it was was very sobering. My question from a therapist standpoint is um, probably going to be pretty obvious to the listening audience, maybe not. How did you and he and Devin respond in the following days and weeks and months? Did you have any nightmares? Did you have any post-traumatic stress symptoms? Were you hypervigilant? Did you relive the incident? Were you able to reconnect? Um, How long was it before you were able to 
handle firearms again, you know, all, all those things. Like how, mm-hmm. how was it returning to quote unquote normal life mm-hmm. after that? And especially, especially your boy. Yeah. Um, well, we did seek, uh, seek counseling, um, Christian counseling to be, uh, like hundred percent. We just, we did, we went to uh, Christian counseling. Uh, I didn't really, uh, trust, um, a lot of outside, um, counselors. It's not that it's just because of my belief, you know, I just go, go, go to the book, you know, sure. you know, that's, so that's the reason why I decided to do Christian counsel, but I got, I did seek counsel, me and my son, uh, my son, uh, I still believe he was a little bit too young to really, uh, grasp what happened. Uh, but me, I definitely understood what happened. And I do find myself, I had to, I do find myself, I had to admit, you know, like, Hey Mike, you know, and it's okay because standing over a man after you just, you know, sorry to say it like this, but blow his head off and he has a hole in his head. He's, you know, I can still smell his blood all the time, you know, and that is no matter who you are, you are not human. If you if your life and your, you don't change after that. So that's the reason why I immediately connected with you guys um, at the training learning industry event, because this is what you guys do. You know, I spoke with Mike, you know, on other topics that we won't speak about up here, but we all went through certain things in our life. And, you know, it, 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 it you know, having, speaking with counselors and speaking with, uh, having, you know, you, having people like you guys walk, talk America is very, very important because mental health is the most important thing. And honestly, mental health is, I said, mental health is the most important thing before the gun, you know, because I had to make sure I was, okay mentally before i can even pick up another gun and the the resources and things you guys provide to the people is the most important thing man like i just i i feel like (laughs) i feel every major new network should know who you guys are like it is insane we agree by the way what you guys do i know it is insane like that is it's crazy man um because this is the this isn't just a problem we're having just in, and I'm gonna go back to the shooting part and you know to answer your question, but mass shootings. And I'm talking about the mass shootings that here's mass shootings that happen all the time in Chicago, but they don't talk about it. You know, there's a, if a black guy drives down the street and I'm just gonna keep it real, uh, because I, I mean that's just how I am. If a black guy down, drives down the street and shoots eight people, it's just a, it's called a drive by. But if a white guy walks into a store and he shoots eight people, oh my god, CNN. Right. It's 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 crazy. And I feel like that is bias. It's unfair. And people need to look at the we need to get to the root of the problem. We have a people problem now. Um, It's just it's clear. We have a people problem. It's not guns. It's not anything else. It's a people problem. And I feel like the the uh, the sooner we can get more people like you guys and get Walk Talk America um, around and, you know, blast everywhere and where people can, you know, gain for some of you gain from some of you guys' resources the better the world will be uh we need that first so immediately after that shooting you know it kind of took me a little minute but uh i was able to you know deal with it really really pretty well i feel like um i, I do battle with things i still go back in my head and my mind took pictures of everything like if you ask me mike you know the reason why i could tell you i moved here i did because my mind has a picture there. I moved there. I know I had to get from this point to this point. I can only remember certain clips, certain pictures in my brain. 
I, you know, I can remember exactly what kind of gun he had. I can remember those different things. Um, but I replay those pictures all the time. And I'm like, hey, you fired a, like you fired like anywhere between 10 to like 12 rounds. You hit him twice. You know, damn, that's not that good, Michael. Like, right. You, you could have, you know, what if you were fighting this? What if you were, you know, fighting somebody who's skilled? Yeah, you didn't hit any other. You didn't hit no innocent people. Yeah, you won the fight. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you stopped your threat. But, you know, it only takes one shot. You know, how can I get better? I immediately went, got into training after I was comfortable enough. I I went, I went to, I got into training like crazy. I became a tr- like traveling. I went to all these different training schools, tap response, a Vectors group, Katie's class, um, Don Edwards, all those other guys' classes. I took all of them. I walked all that stuff with Jerry Mitchellack and Lena Mitchellack. I took a bunch of different classes. I wanted to get really into training because I keep, and people, people ask me this, but I'm like, I keep, I beat myself up. Like I tell myself, Mike, you're really not that good. That's something I deal with. Like you're not that good, dude, because if you were that good, you know, it probably wouldn't have took that many shots. You know, it probably, if you would have hit him off the, uh, you know, the first shot right in the head or right, right in the chest, you know, you could have, you know, that throw would have been down a whole lot sooner or, you know, and I had the nightmares, man, maybe if you were fighting somebody skilled, maybe that, maybe that gunfight wouldn't end it the same. Yeah. I I think um, what's really important. First of all, it takes an incredible amount of maturity for you to say, I wanted to get my head right before I ever went back and grabbed a gun again. I think that's, that's awesome. Um, But also it's interesting to me that this one in a gazillion chance that you had of encountering that circumstance it was afterward, you'll probably, statistically, it'll never happen again. You went and got more training. And I think the the exhortation, the, 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 the insistence that I have for anybody listening is don't wait until afterward. Do it now. And then maybe you have a higher probability of hitting your target without wasting a bunch of rounds that go who knows mm-hmm. where under duress. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, my training's pretty good. No, it isn't. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that's where we want to do situation-based training, scenario-based training as much as possible. Uh, and certainly obviously in the, you know, not to be too technical about it, uh, or callous, but it, it makes your testimony a lot better when you're, you're being questioned. Is it like, you know, I got, mm-hmm. I got thousands of hours of training instead of tens of hours of training. Right. And, uh, it, it's just something we, we need to do so that we don't inadvertently discharge into an area we didn't intend to hit. Um, you know, basic, one of the basic rules of gun safety is know your target and what's beyond it, right? Which mm-hmm. it sounds like you did very, very well. And despite all that, despite the 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 freshness of the training the day before, um, that's just not how it goes down. You know, it's yeah. not it's not yeah. like the the scenarios they say. You know, like how how do you get the the little stationary metal target or the white, you know, paper target to move. <laughs> you can't, you know, it's very, very hard to do that without some super expensive equipment. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. My question now is, and thank you for being as transparent and honest as you are. We asked this of, or I asked of Jimmy Graham of, from Abel Shepherd. He's a, he's a Christian and he's big into defense and defending life is his thing and he's like I'll, I'll protect i'll protect anybody like that's 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 my thing I, I protect i'm a protector i said how are you as a christian 
reconcile the idea that you might have to take a life when that runs apparently antithetical to testament. And so I'll ask you the same thing. How do you, how did you through counseling, how do you in your own heart and, and mind reconcile the taking of a life when we're really commanded to preserve life? To be honest with you, I don't know if I really, I don't, how can I say it? Without saying this, making it sound like I don't care. I, I feel like I think about that all the time because I, I, I went to Christian school, things like that. And I understand it says thou shalt not kill. But in that, that day, I don't feel like I killed. I feel like I saved. Hmm. I saved. And that is who we are as responsible gun owners. We don't take lives. We save lives. Right. I saved lives, not just my son. I saved Devin's. I saved myself. I saved my son. I saved my girlfriend in that room. Because what if he would have shot them, just bust open the door, because knew where I probably lived, when they shot her in, she was pregnant with my daughter, McKaylin. So I potentially saved five lives. I potentially probably saved more. But I saved lives. Yeah, it's a good so, answer. Um, I feel like, you know, that's something. And I also think about the, the fact like, hey, Mike, you know, maybe, you know, when you when, when the day you take your last breath, you know, is God going to forgive you? And I feel like, you know, maybe he will because he understood my heart, you know. But I do, even if he didn't, I tell myself, and this is probably a sin, but I tell myself, it's okay. Because I, my son is still here. So because my son's still here, and maybe he can potentially go on to live a better life than I did, and he gets into heaven, I'm okay with it. Yeah, Mike, this is so back back to the story because I mean I think I don't I don't walk in the same world that you and Jake do, so I think you're fine. Um, <laughs> but this person was trying to kill you and potentially kill your kid. And, and, and your friend, mm-hmm. when this happens, you, you must be in this complete shock because it's not every day that someone starts throwing gang signs at you and, and then starts firing at you. A lot of people would have just froze, right? Because I would have probably thought there's somebody behind me that he's talking to and I'm caught in a crossfire. But how did you, this all happens. And then what did the cops figure out that he had mistaken identity because you didn't have any connection with this guy. You didn't have any issues. No, not at all. Uh, in fact, he, he didn't, the, the, the guy, he, um, he didn't even live over there. Uh, that was his brother's house. And, you know, he had some issues with a rival gang because uh, when that shooting happened, this is something I did not say, I apologize, but he was actually recording. Um, he was recording, and I believe they the the, the detective says they were actually following these because there was a, a, a war going on between these two gangs at this time, and they had they they hire undercover officers to follow these guys on these social media accounts, and they can actually watch everything they're doing and stuff like that. Wow. They know sometimes when different hits and things like that are about to go down, uh, so they can be put in place for it. But um, you know. He, you know, when 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 he was recording, they saw um, how can I say it? So when he when he got to when he got to recording, you know, a lot of the um the detectives they they were able to use some of that same footage and was able to t- you know you know put easy, it was an easy way for them to 
put my like my investigation into solve because they were able to witness all the different things I was saying. So like you know they they just he just the gun he had he was showing in the videos and things like that. Um, when the shooting happened, you know I, he actually I think he stopped recording, but when I went up to him, I can see his phone out and things like that, and he was recording, and it was it was it was insane. I, whew, it's it's a lot to think about, man. I'm sorry. I'm probably outside of like depositions in courtrooms. And I don't know if you ever went to court over, but how many times have you told that story? Um, apart from the legal process. Oof. Shoot. Um, I don't even know. Maybe like I, quite a few. Um, I, uh, I was, I did ABC, ABC seven news. A lot of the, I think it's like 12 major news networks here wow. that I did. And then all the podcasts like Skip's Tactical and Katie's and um, We Like Shooting and you guys and uh, Devin's podcast. Uh, quite a few. Quite a few times. So first, thank you for doing that because it sucks sometimes after we live it. But for me, it felt fresh. It felt like you hadn't you hadn't rehearsed that. It was honest. It was all coming out just naturally. And that's mm-hmm. why I asked that question. I was like, "Man, how's how, how how's this guy process this?" But I guess yeah. that's just the way it goes. Sometimes you you just know mm-hmm. it really well. It's 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 easy. It's easy to I, I put it like this. Uh, I'm not really. I spoke in front of a lot of people. I spoke in front of the uh, in California at the USCCA event. I spoke in front of the, all the sheriff's departments down there in California. Uh, I spoke at the. Uh, I was on the cover of USCCA magazine, and they spoke on on their podcast as well. But it's easy. It's easy to tell the truth. You can tell the truth a million times, but you can only tell a lie a few times. So, when people are like, "Hey, man, it's don't don't get on that that podcast and be you know saying all these different things," and I say, "Man, fuck that." Excuse my language. You know, it's nah. Like somebody can potentially learn from you know a situation I went through, and if they can, then that's great. Wow. You know, yeah. that's what it's about. And telling the truth, I could do it a million times, but I can't tell a lie that many times. I'm not really yeah. gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. The scary part about the story is the random act of violence that almost happened to you. Right? Because it's like even now I think about my neighborhood, right? Just beautiful. Yeah. I could walk outside yeah. go to the mail and you were in that transition yeah. stage. <laughs> and um, you know, I had someone from San Jose State. San Jose State University a couple of weeks ago, very anti-gun person, mm-hmm. but she admitted it. And, you know, we, we talk and, mm-hmm. and she actually said, I, I truly believe there's no reason for anyone to ever own a firearm. She actually said it to me, which, you know, I said, well, obviously you haven't paid attention a lot to stories where there's redemption, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, people are saved by a firearm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you only focus on the bad, but that's a perfect example of one. And not just for your own life, right? Cause mm-hmm. you're a good soul, but because you had your son there. Yeah. You know, and if you think about like when you process what you went through, you said your son called you back. You weren't going to take him. So you almost mm-hmm. went right to the threat unarmed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you must have to replay a lot. It's almost like the stars lined up for you, you know, because it's really easy. Even when you went to grab your son, you could have gone right straight to the threat with no firearm. Mm-hmm. You could have left the gun in the car. Yep. And it doesn't sound like this gentleman was cared about your son. So he wasn't going to stop doing what he was doing just because you had a child in your arms. Nope. He saw my son. He acknowledged him, cursed at him, didn't care, still fired off a round. 
And, wow. you know, that's the reason why I'm here. Like, some pe- sometimes people ask me, man, they like, man, Mike, why do you, you know, uh, I- I've been around some of my friends lately, and we, um, you know, even in Las Vegas, you know, I didn't have my gun on me that day. Remember we were talking about that? Hey, man, Mike, why don't you got your gun? Sometimes, you know, it feels good not to, not, I'm not going to say it feels good not to carry. I love carrying a gun. I, 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 I tell everybody I carry a gun all the time. I mean, but being out of that environment and feeling where, you know, be, being where my mind can be clear and I don't have to worry about things, it feels really good after you've been in so much shit. And everywhere I go, I have to have a gun. But I'm here, and, and people don't understand the violence and how things go here in Chicago, but it is bad. I have to go to Chicago all the time to deliver guns and cu- to my customers. Now, every time, everywhere I am, if I'm out like here, I'm out here now, I have to have a gun everywhere, everywhere. It doesn't make a difference. My mind is trained like that now. I can't not be in another place. It is attached to me. So the moment I can be in Las Vegas and I'm at a pool and I don't have to have a gun on me, I feel really, really good. Like being like when we were at your house, I didn't have to have a gun. I was I felt like good God. Well, it was guns all over the place, but <laughs> I didn't have to have a gun. Like I felt like man, it's a huge relief. Like every time, you know. And some people don't understand, but it's just. Well, talk about the talk about the Chicago piece, right? Because I think in our, in especially in the two A community, we think of mm-hmm. Chicago as you can't have guns. No, no, no. Chicago, it's not a gun-friendly state by no means. I mean, I literally switched my uh my uh, all my information, all my like my driver's license and everything over to a different state because I don't want to be able to have any ties to Illinois. Like the gun laws here are really tough. They are. And but you can own a gun. You can have a handgun, you can have an AR-15 when you're outside the city limits, you can have AKs and all that other stuff. You wanna have you can own as many guns as you want. If you have a million guns in your house, you can fit it, you can have it. Um they Did you ever find out if his gun was legal? Just out of curiosity. Nah, his gun was definitely illegal. They the <laughs> detective, she picked that up. It was a lot of different stuff that uh but his gun was um bought, I guess, off the street. He didn't own it legally. He had a long rap sheet, you know. It was a pretty clear cut case. And to speak about court and things like that, um if you're not charged like they have to process me because they have to find out who you are, they still have to treat it as it's an investigation. You know, even though what you did um, was uh, within the law, but it's still not technically right. Killing someone, you're still committing a crime. You're just found not guilty for that crime because it was a justified shooting, justified mm-hmm. crime. It's like, you know what I mean? So it's like it was what you did was just justified. It was still against the law, but it was justified. It was still, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like people got to understand that, you know, the process, the process of how that stuff goes. You're still going to get arrested. Still gonna get an ISP number when that shooting happened. The only thing I went to court for was to get my uh, that arrest that arrest expunged off my record because I didn't want to have anything. Uh, I got pulled over, and how I, I kind of caught on to it. I got pulled over. N- normally, like I, to this day, like I got to go to court on the first. <laughs> to this day, I never had. Uh, I never had like a speeding ticket. Like I never had any type of. Even still to this day, don't. Uh, but I got pulled over and normally when I get pulled over, they just write me a warning. Have a nice day. You have no criminal history. You're good. You know, like yeah, still carry whatever the case is. Cool. Um, cause they're, they're looking for a hard criminal. They're looking for people who got like a lot of drugs and guns in their car. So they're like, let's just let this guy go so I can get on to another person, you know? So get pulled over and I'm like looking and cop comes up. He slowly approaches, but normally his thing, he gets my ID. He goes back there. He sits back there for a while. That never happened for me. 
what? Another squad car pulls up. I'm like, what? And, you know, they then come up to me like, hey, you know, um, you're all good. I'm not giving you a ticket or anything like that. Um, but um, I'm just, you know, uh, make sure you got any guns in the car, things like that. Never really asked me those questions as much. Neither. I was like, yeah, I do. He was like, all right, well, just don't reach for it. You know, you're not arrested or anything like that. We're just making sure we sit my partner's running your background, all that good jazz. And just, it was just a runaround. And I, I immediately called my cousin who works for ISP. And, he, you know, he um, looked for me. <laughs> and I found out that the arrest was on there. And I flipped shit because, like, I felt like they treated me like a criminal. And I never was treated like that. So, I had the arrest expunged um, off my record, and you know now when I get pulled, they don't act like that. So, but they that is something you know here. You know if you got any type, I tell people too, if you got any type of you know arrest history and things like that, try to get that stuff expunged if if you can, because you know the, having a gun and mixing a gun with a police officer, you know, and potentially confrontation, you don't want that. So, how was the uh, how was the interaction with the detectives and police that showed up? You know, I, we kind of cut you off before you talked about that. It's okay. Um, well, the detectives didn't show up to the scene. The tech, they did go there, but they didn't show up to the scene. They came, uh, they had to take me. Uh, Chicago is a very, very large city. So we have districts, different, you know, police districts and stuff like that. They had to find out which district they were taking me to so they could process and do the investigation, all that stuff and video uh, surveillance, you know, what do you call it? The interrogation room and all that good jazz. Um first time being in handcuffs they hurt like hell uh, <laughs> uh but they took me up to the uh, police department and um the detectives actually cpd was actually really 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 cool about it. in fact they were like man this is honestly gonna go a whole lot more smoother than you think you know for for us if they get into a police shooting is insane but they brought me up to the room and when i got into the room the uh, detectives um they were just telling me, like, hey, man, you know, honestly, before we got on camera, you know, before we, they record anything, they were like, you would have probably did the same thing I did. So all I'm going to tell you is everything else looks good. He said, just just be, just tell us what happened. Literally, this is before she cut on the camera. She said, literally, you can tell exactly what happened. My uh, my attorney was there. I have a lot of family members who work for CPD, so they knew I was there. They told the detectives, hey, this is my nephew. He's a good guy. They knew that already, but they, you know, I had a lot of people there supporting me, and they, um, you know, my, my attorney was like, she went and she 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 looked at all uh, all the evidence, things that they had on the table there, and she was like, Michael, just you know what to say. Just tell them the right things. You're good. You don't have to really, we don't have to run for this one. This is going to be, you know, a pretty easy one. So, um, I told them they let me out that night, some hours later, uh, after they processed, did fingerprint and all that good stuff. And, um, let me out and got back home to the family. When I got back to the, uh, back home, well, even before I got back home, they, um, that recording that he was, uh, he was doing the other gang, uh, as I was in there, because I was concerned about that. I'm like, you know, do I, man, I don't want to worry about it. You know, the retaliation, the, right? Yeah. I don't want about, I don't want to worry about like retaliation or anything like that. And she was like the, the, the rival gang is actually taking credit for the shooting now. That's incredible. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Like before you even let out, left out the police department, like they're taking credit for the, uh, um, for the actual shooting, I said I don't care. They can because <laughs> right. I want to go home to my family, you know. That's wild. And I went back home and got some food and saw my son and uh, son's mother. She was there and she was just thanking me and everybody was just crying, happy that I was okay. And it was. What did your son say to you? He, uh, I asked him. He was. Um, I, I, he came up to me. He just gave me a hug and 
asked did he know what happened. He was like, yeah, daddy, you had to take out the bad guy. You were, you know, oh, pew, wow. boom, boom, boom. You know, and I was like, what? You know, and then when he said that, my son's smart, you know, so I, I knew he kind of understood. But I knew he didn't really gr- he understood he knows what happened, but he doesn't understand what happened. You know what I mean? So he don't like I shielded him. I didn't want him to see the guy, you know, with his blood everywhere. So I kind of shielded him from that. He didn't see any of those things. Only thing he saw was me shooting, you know. And another thing I speak about before we kind of um, in this um, is. When that shooting happened, I heard his gunshot, and after that, I didn't hear any more gunshots. So back to tunnel vision. Uh, after my, I didn't even feel like the recoil as much. Like I, I was just in sync, you know. With it was me and the guy. I didn't see my sights at all, neither. Perfect, like a brief second, but ninety-nine percent of the the gunfight, I didn't see my sights. I just tried to rely on my, you know, basic, like my fundamental skills and punching a gun out, having a proper grip, you know, sight alignment and, you know, things like that. So, and that's just, that's just how I rolled. That's a, it's a really important distinction there about the, the gross motor skill versus the fine motor skill. Mm-hmm. Looking down your sight alignment is a fine motor skill. Finding your magazine to reload is a fine motor skill. Gross motor skill is grab the gun, push out, pull the trigger. And, mm-hmm. um, and those, those fine motor skills disappear when adrenaline dumps and when cortisol is pumping through your, your brain, um, is interesting. You, you reminded me, I was going to ask, how was your hearing afterward? Cause we always practice with our hearing protection, mm-hmm. right? But in, in live gunfight, you, you go deaf. Um, yeah. so did you, did you have ringing? Were you even aware of it? Were you just so full of adrenaline? You weren't nope. even. I was so full of adrenaline. I, I, my hearing was fine. Like so, I was always concerned about that, and yeah. I will honestly say I uh, broke one of the firearm safety rules, and I'm honestly really, really big on firearm safety rules. Like I stress that uh, as far as safety. But I, I was at the range. I was outside one day, and I was like, "Man, let me just take my ear pro off and see how it sounds like." And they heard it like hell. Yeah, I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. For days. Uh, yeah, I was like, "Good God!" I'm like, "How I'm am I going to be that able again. to do this?" Yeah. No, and I would never again. I would never recommend anybody. I tell everybody, firearm safety rules. Please follow all of them. I would never tell you to. I am anybody who knows me knows how I am. Um, but that hurt it like hell. But in that situation, I was telling myself that's another thing I was thinking about. I'm like, man, in that situation, what am I going to do? How am I going to do? Like. If I hear a gunshot go off that close to me, off even mine, I'm probably gonna fire one round and duck or something like that. But that tunnel vision, they kind of like everything. It's not like I had ear pro on. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, it was just like just there. Hey, so not to get you to speak on his behalf at all, but w- what was Devin's take on this? Like, what was he doing? How did he? What did he go through during the process? Um. I think it was definitely tough uh, on him. Devin not being from Chicago. Also, uh, Devin being a victim of gun control, you know, because in Chicago, his concealed carry permit is not valid. So he cannot have a gun on his person loaded. Um, So it was tough, like, because, you know, being in that situation and and have because you're a law abiding citizen and you want to, you know, obey the law, you're going to, you're going to, give up you know you being having given up the right to protect yourself so he was in a shitty spot you know he was in a crappy spot and he couldn't really help and in that situation too 
I had to grab that other gun in that, in that center console, and he had no gun. And I thought about that as well. There's he's in the car with my son. There's no gun. I'm like, man, I have to scan. I have to make sure there's no other threats because this is going to potentially end really, really bad. You know, if there is someone else that comes outside this house, you know, because they're going to see their loved one, you know, with a head, their head blown off, and it's not going to be really good. So that was uh, Devin. I felt like uh, it was tough for him. He really, really um, was left in a bad spot. Um, I felt like him after the shooting, I believe he was fine. Devin, I asked him, when did he actually understand what was going on? And he didn't until I came in front of the car. And I was looking right at him, you know, because we literally just came from a training event and we fired a bunch around. So he said when he heard gunshots, he didn't even think anything of it. He was like, he, he still assumed that he was oh, wow. at training. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was so weird? normal just hours ago to hear gunshots outside and you're inside. So the gunshots aren't even really, he, he was just like, his mind was just like, we're just at training learn, you know, like he didn't really grasp what was really going on until it was right there. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's such a wild, wild story. I, I mean, you getting thrust into probably to the spotlight for the two, eight community when you didn't really want to be, I, I'm sure you got contacted by the NRA and USCCA. Cause now you're like the perfect poster boy for, for all these things. Yeah. And, like you were set out to go be a hero that day. Right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's gotta be tough. I mean, it, and then you got to worry about what you were saying. Right. Cause you mm-hmm. don't want to say the wrong thing. Cause it's yeah. not, necessarily over with nope it it still isn't you know and that's another thing we can uh, speak about too um the aftermath um even after everything's over even after you're mentally you feel like you're stable and things like that the family can still sue you you know you know what they win more than likely not do they want to waste you know to sue somebody civilly is not cheap you know it, it can cost anywhere between Thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars just to even start that process, depending on where you're at and how much you know the retainer fee and all that good jazz is and all that stuff. Uh, so it's not something I would tell people to worry about as much, but it is something you do need to keep in on in the back of your mind that after something like this, you can still be sued, you know, in civil court from the family that even if he was in the wrong. So I, uh, you know, I tell people just be very, very mindful of that, um, you know. Try try your best to, if you are going to tell that story again, if you if hopefully you're never in this situation, but if you are, understand you know try to keep do the right thing and no, understand if you did wrong, shut your mouth. You know people you know again people tell me well Mike how can you tell this story because I'm not lying, I can tell the story a billion times because I did the right thing, I told I'm telling the truth I'm telling you what happened telling you the same thing i'm telling the detectives that day like this is what happened this is what i know and this is the truth yeah it's that's instructive too and i think that's why we you know again to people who may be gun ambivalent or anti-gun nobody seeks to take another life nobody wants to discharge a firearm that's why we try to teach as best as possible de-escalation um before anything else is why Kevin named his, you know, outfit, no other choice. And you had yeah. no other choice. Other there. choice. No. He, he'd engaged you and fired. 
Like there's no other choice at that point. There is no de-escalation. There's no negotiation. There's no, hey, would you please just reconsider this and go see your counselor first? It's yeah, yeah, nah. Yeah, I was thinking about that, and that's uh, I was beating myself up about that as well. You know, no other choice. Like, like you know, uh, Kevin Dixie is you know his slogan. You know, no other choice. You know, I at that moment, like you say, uh, I was backing up. I'm like Mike, could you have ran off? Maybe so, but he fired around. If, can I turn my back to the threat who just fired a shot at me? Could potentially run outside, continue shooting at me while I'm walking with my son. I had no other choice, so I had to do what I had to do that you know that moment. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't know how many times I thought someone was waving at me and I waved to them. I can't imagine someone yelling and going to draw their firearm. I would have definitely been like, who's behind me? Clearly he's not talking to me because I don't know who this guy is. Now I, I looked at him confused too as well. <laughs> you know, when he when he was doing that, I didn't say, I'm looking, I'm talking to you, you little motherfucker. No, I just was like, what? And he's still on live, so he has to play tough guy. Oh, and, you right, know, right, right. Yeah, forget his life. Yeah, recording it. Well, um, well, Mike, like, real quick, talk about what you're about to do, what you're about to break ground on down in Tennessee, because I think this is this is cool. This is a cool ending to this story, kind of what inspired sure. you and where you're going. Yeah, so I appreciate that, Mike. Um, again, like I said, I, after uh, that shooting, I, be, I beat myself up, you know, when I go to think about it every single day, you know, about how I could have been better, you know. So I decided to purchase land uh, in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, and I'm building a range, and the range is called Protect One. It is going to be a training facility. I have an event August 14th and 15th that is an invite-only event, and I'm extending that invitation to you two gentlemen today. So you got a motor welcome to come out. It's free. I have a lot of same people at Train to Learn. It's <laughs> our, our, our network, and uh, I have a bunch of different companies out there, Blackwater, South Carolina Gun School, um, USCCA and Bat Cave Ballistics Machine Guns, they'll be out there. It'll be cool. Um, but yeah, that that shooting encouraged me to start something to, to open up my own range to create a platform and a space for other people to become better at shooting, at defending themselves in a you know situation, you know, in need if they have to, you know. So just being able to, I mean, I thank God, you know, that goes back to small business. You know, I, it was always a dream of mine to buy land. I talked about it, I researched it when I had $10 in my account. You know, I'm like, man, I'm going to do this. And for my business to do what it did and from COVID and for me to, you know, handle it the way I did and able to create this, uh, this, this cash flow and able to have the funds to go and, you know, just today, I paid my last balance to where my property's paid for. Oh, so, congratulations. That's uh, super thank you. Cool. Uh, so, I, you know, to have that money to do those things, to, you know, pay, just go out and pay, buy your land outright and set these things up and do this with your own money is just a dream come true. And I thank God uh, for giving me, you know, the knowledge and the funds and the people around me and everything to, you know, make this happen. You're going to help a lot of people. That's uh, pretty, That's pretty my cool. my goal, man. Yeah. That's my goal. Well, we can't let you go just yet. Mike still has to ask his favorite question that we ask of all guests. 
Yeah. Uh, yes. I, very inspirational, man. The way you carry yourself is, is fantastic. I'm, I'm honored to know you and I'm so glad that we got to hang out in Vegas and everything like sure. that. Um, and I think your story can inspire and forget the shooting part. Like forget that just, just yeah. black firearms industry ownership. Like, I think it's great. Um, Thank you. Thank you. How do you tend to your mental health? How do I tend to it? I try to, um, whenever I, whenever I find myself like getting out of, off my square, I go back to religion every single time. Um, I, 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 I stop blaming, you know, everyone else because a lot of times what I found myself doing was, man, Michael, I, I will blame people around me for little things and I will just snap off and get mad at it. I am a very alpha male. Um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, you know, if something doesn't go my way, I'm going to say something, I'm going to be pissed. When I find myself getting off my square, I just, just go back to say, hey, Mike, just apologize. Try to eliminate this, this whole scenario, this whole situation as much as, much as possible and stick to the book, you know, stick to the good book, you know, if, what, what, what would Jesus want you to do? You know, what would you, I know everybody says that, but try to do the right thing. I have nothing, I have nothing to prove to anyone. I don't have to prove that I'm some type of, you know, tough ass or anything like that. I don't, I don't, I don't carry myself that way. Mike, you know that, uh, Jake, you meet me in person, you know that, um, I just, I try my best just to stay as humble. And when I find myself getting off my square, I just go back to, um the book you know that's what i do and i do think uh if i still do counseling to still to this day and mentors i think mentors are honestly even better than um and not to take away from your uh you jake but i think even mentors are better than even counseling in a way because it is counseling you know you know like actually seeking a, a counselor you know if i got any problems i remember mike you came and helped me out in vegas and i appreciate that you dropped me off at the airport you can't pick me up from the hotel you you gave you gave me uh locks that i still got <laughs> you uh i mean i mean you just you just was there you were uh you 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 opened up your home you opened up your uh everything you and you 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 came to help me out and we need more people like that you know because when i if i need something I, I feel like i don't have to hesitate to give you a phone call and i appreciate that and it's the same way this way too so yeah i appreciate that man you no you problem, dude. You don't know this because we've been talking for about an hour and a half now, and I talked to you for all mm-hmm. five minutes in Missouri. But you inspire me um, as a business owner, as a dad, as a Christian, and I appreciate what you've done. I appreciate the way you carry yourself, and um, I, I needed I need a little shot in the arm. So thank you for that. So oh, no you know, problem, Bernie. Uh, you know we we get our our mentors from uh, different places sometimes, and sometimes they look like somebody who's you know, 15, 16 years younger and just know that that matters. Right. So irrespective of age or experience or whatever life, life script, um, you do have a presence about you that is honest and genuine and authentic and humble. And that communicates a sense of, of personal self-worth that I think invites others to find their own self-worth. So thanks for doing that for me. Um, no problem, man. No problem. Been a rough few weeks for me and I I need to hear that. No problem, man. And likewise, if you need anything, Jake, uh, I'll make sure I get your information from Mike. Uh, reach out, buddy. I appreciate it, man. Thank yeah. you, too, because we need people like you, because, like, if I have something, I I, I feel like I can call and I can. Oh, yeah. You, you know, because you're a father, you're a gun owner, you're in the gun industry, and this is what you do. So 
uh, again, like I say, both you guys and Walk Talk America is extremely important. So thank you guys for what y'all do. Thanks, buddy. Um, no this is where we close up. So on behalf of Zephyr Wellness, the company that I uh, own here in northern Nevada, on behalf of Arms Corps, which continues to be a solid, robust sponsor of what we do, and on behalf of the entire Walk the Talk uh, board and community, uh, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you share this around. We, uh, we say it frequently. It doesn't do any good locked up in our heads. Uh, make sure you spread this information so that people can get helped by it. And uh, join us next time. Thanks for tuning in. We wish you all great mental wellness. Bye-bye. No matter who you are, you are not human if, if your life and your, you don't change after that.